Good morning. Welcome to The Edge. My name is Brandy, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today. Whether you've been a part of our church community for a long time or whether you're tuning in for the very first time, we want to welcome you here and let you know that you are safe to explore your faith right here. And today we are continuing our study through the book of Colossians in a series called Christ in You. Christ in You. You know, as Christians, this truth that God's Spirit comes to dwell in us, to live in us and be present with us, comforting us and guiding us, is not only something that gives us hope during our hard times in this life, but it also points to our glorious future that is just on the other side in heaven. This reality is such a powerful and foundational belief for the Christian, and honestly, it should change everything about our lives, from our outlook to our perspective to our lifestyle. And it is Christ in us that is the only hope of glory, both now and forevermore. But whether or not this, this God glory or his essence and his character really comes through us has a lot to do with our choices. So up until now, throughout Paul's letter, he's been really explaining um, more lofty types of theology and doctrine about who Christ is and what it means for his spirit to indwell us. But now he's going to be moving on to some more practical advice so that we know what to do with this knowledge. Because big concepts are great and all, but if we don't know what to do with them, then they're not very useful to us. So we're gonna be moving on to hear some practical advice from Paul so that we know how to take this knowledge of Christ in us and actually allow it to affect our steps so that Christ comes through us, affecting the world around us. And we'll be taking a look at the text starting in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 11. If you happen to have your Bibles with you and you open it up, you'll notice that in this text there's a heading. And the heading in your Bible probably reads, Living as those made alive in Christ. Living as those made alive in Christ. You know, the heading itself kind of tells us something, doesn't it? It tells us that just because we have the Spirit of God living in us doesn't necessarily mean that we'll act that way. It indicates that it's entirely possible for us to, to be Christians, to have invited Jesus to be our personal Lord and Savior, to have His Spirit in us, but not necessarily live as though that's true. We've been made free, but just because that's true doesn't necessarily mean that we'll live that way. Sad, isn't it? And here's the thing, it, it kind of takes me back and reminds me uh, my early days of mothering. I, I have three teenage daughters now, but it reminds me of a time when my 14-year-old daughter, Ava, was just a toddler. She was actually just two years old, and she was one of those real daredevils. There was never a challenge that she would meet without some excitement and determination. So she was always taking risks. So it probably wouldn't surprise you to know that by the age of two, she had learned on her own to ride a two-wheel bicycle. She would have nothing to do with the training wheels. And it used to scare me to death because, of course, the more bold and confident she got on that two-wheel bicycle, the more tricks and things that she would try to do. 
Well, one day she took a, a, a sharp turn on a downhill and ended up falling off the bike, catching herself by her hand and falling on her arm. And unfortunately, she broke her arm. And she didn't just break her arm, she actually pretty much shattered her elbow in just the spots where it would actually require surgery and pins and a hospital stay. It was, it was a nightmare. And I'll never forget it because it actually took about two weeks for the swelling to go down before we could even have the surgery and it was this huge ordeal. All in all, she ended up in a cast for almost nine weeks. A two-year-old with a bound up arm for nine weeks. So you can imagine, it would just break my heart watching her outside playing with her friends and being so limited with only being able to use this one arm. So because of that, I wanted to make sure that we had something to celebrate when she got her cast off. So I like wrote up invitations and planned this big celebration. I actually invited all of the kids, the neighborhood kids on the block, to come over upon our return and surprise Ava with a cast off party. I mean, I had like, there was gonna be like a balloon release and ice cream and of course, a bunch of games that would require both of your hands. All right, so I had this big thing planned. It was just gonna be this huge celebration. But what I didn't count on was the fact that whenever she got that cast taken off and on her way home, she was so disturbed to have her arm without this cast around it. In fact, she sat in her car seat all the way home with her arm like cradled up as if it was still in the cast and she wouldn't move it. I would offer her a drink, a sippy cup or you know a snack and she'd reach with her opposite arm and I would say, honey, use your other arm. And she wouldn't. She just would beg for her cast back. So I'm thinking, well, as soon as we get to the party, she'll forget about her arm and she'll have fun with her friends. And it's just going to be this great day. And I'm sure the other kids did have a lot of fun. But as for Ava, I'll never forget it. She basically stood in the corner at her cast off party with her arm close to her chest like this, crying on and off the whole time, begging me to put her cast back on. <laughs> you know, after a while, she obviously realized she could use her arm and, and things slowly progressed. But I think sometimes I wonder if God feels that way about us, like he knows the gifts that we have access to and the freedom that we have with his spirit indwelling us. But oftentimes we don't make the choices to utilize or access all that freedom and all those gifts. Listen, we were all broken by sin helpless to find our way back to God and powerless in our struggle against sin. But then Jesus comes in and he not only offers us forgiveness, but he offers us himself. And now we are no longer slaves to sin if we are in him. Yes, on this side of heaven, we all still sin from time to time, but with Christ in us, we are free from the mastery of sin and from the eternal consequence of sin which is death. In other words, we are free and we have life. The question is, will we live like it? So let's take a look at what Paul offers us in today's text. Starting with chapter three, verse one. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
So put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. In other words, no matter who you are or what your background is, if Christ is in you, this new self, this new lifestyle is meant for you. Now, before we even get into this, it's so important to go back to the beginning and look at the very first two words, which says, since then, or some Bible versions will say, if then. In other words, Paul believes that he is addressing the Christian when he starts detailing this new life and this new perspective and new mindset. It's not even possible outside of Christ living in us, no matter what our intentions are, no matter how much discipline or willpower we have, we can never have enough to think like and act like Christ if his spirit is not guiding us and even giving us the desire to please him. So this whole list is hopeless for us without Christ in us, but with Christ, this is the life that we can and ought to be living out. And to encourage us, Paul reminds us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Because all throughout scripture, the right hand of God symbolizes his mighty acts of deliverance. And we see Jesus pictured taking his seat there at that right hand because the ultimate act of deliverance, deliverance over sin and death was already accomplished through Jesus. So there he is seated there and we have to keep our eyes fixed there, right? Like you have to look where you're going, right? Remember being little and your parents would say, watch where you're going. We have to look where we wanna go. That's why scripture reminds us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus because he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. As Christians, we want to take the steps in the way of Jesus, and so we have to remember to keep looking where he is, already seated in a place of victory. Because, listen, where we direct our hearts and our minds is where our lives are going to go. This is why Paul says, set your hearts and your minds on things above. See, our hearts and our minds are very strongly linked, aren't they? In fact, if you want to know what you really care about, take a look at your thought life. Notice the thought patterns and what you're actually dwelling on. That's what you really care about. But see, half the battle is even noticing where your thoughts are going. I think I read somewhere recently by some sort of a doctor <laughs> that over 40% of the thoughts that pass through our minds we're not even aware of. It's just more subconscious. So half the battle is grabbing, allowing ourselves to grab attention, to take hold of what thoughts will pass through our mind. I've heard it said before that a mind made up is a powerful thing. <laughs> Ask any mother of a toddler and they will agree. If someone's mind is made up, it's a powerful thing because that's going to be the direction that they're going to go. 
And when Paul says, set your mind and set your hearts on heavenly things, he's actually using the present active participle for the word set. So it means we have to keep on setting, right? As thoughts pass through our mind, we have to keep on grabbing them. Scripture says to take hold of every thought that comes through our mind and make it obedient to Christ, to take captive those thoughts. In other words, gain control over your thoughts and make sure that where your thoughts are landing line up with the truth of what God says. Kind of reminds me of a steering wheel, right? Because our minds are very fragile. They're distracted. They filter a lot of things through it. But like a steering wheel that kind of veers off from the center line, we have to take our hands and guide it back. We have to do the same thing with our thoughts. Now, this doesn't mean we're just going to be sitting around all day and just doing nothing except thinking about heaven or thinking about God. Like, that's not practical. That's not reality. God knows that we have jobs to do or, you know, kids to feed or houses to clean, bills to pay. He knows this. But to set our hearts and our minds on heavenly things means that we have an eternal perspective. In other words, when it comes to this situation or this thought pattern or this choice you're going to make, how does it line up with a heavenly perspective? And when you learn to do that, it will actually change your entire outlook. Like, for example, we may have a thought that drifts through our mind about past regrets, but we can choose to settle on the fact that God has forgiven me and made me a new creation. Our minds may drift to worry and anxiety over thoughts of the future, but I'm going to settle on knowing and believing that God has a plan for me that's good. My mind may drift to the fact of feeling that I'm not valuable or, or worth anything, but I'm going to settle on the truth that he loved me so much that he gave his only son. See, where are we going to allow our minds to settle? And you notice that Paul calls this a practice, taking off the old practices, putting on the new, because here's the thing. Practice makes perfect, right? After a while, if we continue to practice taking captive our thoughts and lining them up with God's truth, it's going to get easier. And the more we practice, the better we're going to get. And the better we get at thinking like God, the more we're going to look like him and act like him. And you guys, that's the whole point. The whole point of setting our hearts and our minds on heavenly things is so that it can actually line our steps. Remember when you get behind a starting line for a relay and it's like, ready, set, go, right? You get set so that you can go. We set something with an intended action in mind. Think about it. You set an alarm so that you'll wake up. You set the table so that you can eat. You set out your clothes to put them on. See, we're setting our minds so that we can allow the Spirit to actually direct our steps. But it starts with a thought. You've, you've heard this before, but sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Oh, we have a destiny, all right. If Christ is in us, we have a destiny, and we have to look where we're going and see how our life right here is lining up with that heavenly perspective. And it's amazing how everything changes when we become more heavenly-minded. 
Oh, you can still appreciate and enjoy the good gifts that God gives you, but you don't have to white-knuckle them as though this world is all we have. You can grieve and ought to when you experience losses, but you don't have to grieve as one without hope. You can walk into a room and you can choose to be God-directed instead of self-directed. And when you make that intentional choice, it is amazing to see the doors that will open for you to show other, others God's love. Here's an idea. Maybe next time you walk into a place, whether it's a workplace, um, a meeting, a gas station, a store, just say a little prayer before you walk in there. Say a prayer before you get out of the car and just say, God, I know that I'm going here for X, Y, and Z, but I want your spirit to guide my steps. Give me the eyes to see who and what you see. Give me the mind to think like you and direct my steps and watch how your course of action just might change. Notice that Paul tells us to take off the old clothes and put on the new ones. Listen, when we come in from like a hot and sweaty day, or maybe you've been outside, you've been working out, taking a bike ride, or you're out in the garden and you get all sweaty, you go up, you take a shower. It's like the best feeling, isn't it, when you get all cleaned up? Nobody has to tell you not to put those dirty clothes back on. Of course you're going to put on clean clothes because you want that, that clean feeling to stay like that. Listen, if Christ came in us, he's already forgiven us. He's already made us a new creation. And Paul is reminding us that these old ways of thinking, it's like old clothes that don't match a clean body. We want our insides and our outsides to match. And that's where the fruit of our testimony is going to be also. And here's the best part. God is going to be faithful to renew us from the inside out, forming us into his image. And these sinful practices will no longer match us anymore. They have no place in our lives anymore. Remember 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. I love this verse. It's one of my favorites. But we are not to lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed. You guys, that, that word renewed translates renovation. Literally, from the inside, God is renovating our thought life. He's renovating our hearts and our desires and our motives. And just like any renovation, if you've ever been a part of a, of a renovation in a home, you know that sometimes that gets messy. Sometimes it's, it's painful. Sometimes it's costly. Right? I imagine renovation doesn't really feel good to a house, and sometimes that renovation work in your heart may not always feel good. But if we are surrendered to God and allowing Him to work in us and work in our thought, in our thoughts and in our hearts and direct our steps, then we will be made new, being transformed more and more into His image. And then the Christ in us will emit the Christ through us, and that is what the world needs, because he is our only hope, the hope of glory, both now and forevermore. Well, if you're in your house churches today, I'd love to throw out a few questions that maybe you could discuss and process together, and if you're on your own, maybe these could be some good journal prompts or just some things for you to think about throughout the week. The first is, just in general, what is your biggest takeaway? What is that one thing that you just kind of knew like was for you? The second is this, 
What is one area of your thought life that has been made new, and how has it affected your actions? And number three, can you identify one thought pattern that maybe needs to change in order to better line up with what God says? Well, you guys, I hope you have an awesome Sunday and you're enjoying the beautiful sunshine. We'll see you next time.